This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So I hope uh, everyone had an amazing, amazing Shavuos. I definitely did. I hope you all stayed up both nights. So you have that guarantee, that life guarantee. Mitzvah Lifetime guarantee. Shavuos comes with a lifetime guarantee. Um, okay, so just very excited about something that's going on. Baruch Hashem, I spoke, this, I spoke a while ago. Um, remember on Purim we spoke about that, that Ahasuerosh had a, had a Sefer Zichronos and how can he have a Sefer Zichronos and us Jews we don't have and we talked about Hakar Satov so we decide, I decided that we're going to write my first book for Art Scroll together with Rav Shimon Finkelman and it's finished and it's going to print Hashem, it'll be out um, so um the Rebbe finally wrote a book, a Sefer. And I hope it'll be a very unbelievable Sefer. It will be an unbelievable Sefer because it's, gonna, it's written in a format that it's taught every day in school. It's a lesson a day in Hakar Satov. So they can actually teach it in school and have workbooks about it. And I, I really feel that any kid, young kid that learns about Hakar Satov, you have Hakar Satov, then you have a good relationship with your wife when you get married because you appreciate her. The biggest problem today is that that kids tell their parents, like, you know, so you're getting me a car? So when are you getting me a car? And they're like, getting you a car? Yeah, you're my father. Ain't that, isn't that your job? It's your job. So even if you buy him a car, they're not excited. You didn't do anything for me, you know? Husband comes home and says, you know, where's supper? Um, I don't know, the kids were like crying and stuff. What do you mean? What do you mean? Supper, you know? She goes, ah, surprise! Even though the kids are like that, I made a very special supper. He's like, oh, big deal. It's your job. It's your job to make me supper. It's your job to make the bed. It's your job to clean the house. And the women also like, you know, you know, uh, I paid the bills this, year, this week, and we even have a little bit of money over. Oh, what, I should get excited? I mean, you're the guy. You're the one who makes the living. Like, I should get excited about that? That's your job. So it's your wife's job. It's your husband's job. It's your father's job. It's your mother's job. Everything's your job. Mommy, what if to clean up after me? I leave my socks and everything on the floor. It's her job. So it's not like I appreciate you do that every day. The maid. You say, who says thank you to their maid? How many kids say thank you every day to their maid? Thank you for, for making my bed. Thank you for cleaning off the table. Who says thank you to a maid? Who says thank you to anybody? So... This generation is very much the I generation, right? You have to buy me an iPhone. It's your job to buy me an iPhone 5, upgraded, right? The new upgraded and the 6 and the 7 and probably the 10, right? So it's everybody's job. So relationship is based on appreciation. Not that the other person needs you to say thank you. That's not good either. But you need to, you need to hear yourself say thank you. Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't allowed to hit the, hit the water the water has no feelings. You can splash in a pool. It doesn't hurt the water. Right? But Moshe Benu can't hit the water because the water did something good for him. So, so Baruch Hashem, we have this book and we, we want to teach this to the kids. And, and on top of that, we're working on what's called the Safer Zichronos that everybody can buy a book. It's going to be like a diary every single day. And then you can write in it every single night before you go to sleep. You can write what people did for you. But I came up with a crazy idea, which I'm not, I am not telling the public that's very connected to this because I'm scared someone might copy it because it's very copyable um, not they're copying it to cut me off but they're just they'll be so excited about it they'll copy it so we'll talk about that at a little bit of a later date but it's really taking off and I'm very excited and anyone out there that wants to dedicate a page Nishmas, their birthday not Nishmas, their birthday Nishmas, or their birthday or Bar Mitzvah or Bar Mitzvah whatever it is we're going to have every single page every day day, day 80 day 30 day 120 you'll be able to dedicate that page you'll have on the bottom, by mitzvahs, whatever, whatever it is. We have 180 days. So it's, it's 300, it's, it's a double program. In other words, it's 180 days and then again 180 days, which is 360 days, which is the year. So anyone who's interested in dedicating a page, um, give us a call at Ornava 1718-OHRNAAV. I don't usually do advertisements, but we have to get this book out for Elul. Because I think it's a game changer for everybody. All right. Now that we finished the advertisements for tonight, we're going to go to the last parak in Pirkei because I haven't spoken here since the last parak in Pirkei And then we'll go to the first parak in Pirkei and then we'll go to the Pasha. 
Okay, so the very, <coughs> the, I don't think there is a story in Pirkei Avos besides this story. No, there isn't. Well, the Mishnayis doesn't have stories there, right? So, the story goes like this. Omar Rabbi Yaisi ben Kisru, we spoke about this before, but it's very, very, very important before the summer. Omar Rabbi Yaisi ben Kisma, Rabbi Yaisi ben Kisma said, I was once walking in the street, or the derech and the way, somebody bumped into me. Paga means like, when you're going out the door, someone else is coming in the door, bang! Right? So, somebody banged into me. And he said to me, Shalom Aleichem. And I answered him, Shalom Shalom. Amali. So Yosef and Kisma says that this man said to me, Rabbi, Rabbi, where are you coming from? Amarti Lo, Yosef and Kisma said, I answered him, Meir Gedola, from a big city, from a city of very wise people, big tzaddikim. Oh, really? Amali, so this man who bumped into me said, Rabbi, Hey, Rabbi, nobody made me this offer. Ritzaycha, Shetador, Imano bim Kaimenu. It's our will, or it's your will. Ritzaycha really means your will, right? So he's telling him information. By the way, it's your will. It's our will. Shetador, Imano bim Kaimenu, that you should live in our place. Not in our place, but in our place, right? Vani, not that I'm not saying anything against our place, but that's not what it's saying over here. I don't want to get into trouble. And if you do that, I will give you millions of gold coins, beautiful jewels, pearls, whatever you need. Wow, that's an offer, right? I never banged into someone that offered me that. Armati Lo, so Rav Yosef and Kisma answered him. If you would give me all the money, all the gold, all the beautiful stones in the world, right? Any darl Taira, I will not live only where there is Taira. And how do you know that? Because it says it to Hillim, Taivli, Taira, one little song, right? Taivli, Taira, Speaker. It's better for me the words of Tyre from your mouth than all the gold and then hundreds of thousands worth of gold. And then he starts to give this guy who he bumped into Musser. Below oh, and I want to tell you something else. When a person dies, aim They don't they don't no one's malava, nobody goes with you. Not your silver, not your gold, not your stones. Only Five questions on this mission. Five questions. Number one. What does this mean to Pagabi Adam Echad? What do you mean? He really bumped into him? It banged into him? Is that what he's saying? Number two, we know that a tzaddik, a tzaddik is always to, supposed to say Shalom Aleichem to you first. He's not, you're not supposed to wait till someone says, there's a famous, one of the Tanam, right? One of the big rabbis, the Gemara says, never in his life did he say Aleichem Shalom. Because he always, the minute he saw somebody, he said Shalom Aleichem. So he never said in his life Aleichem Shalom. So Rabbi Yezim and Kisma was a big man. So what do you mean, but not suddenly Shalom, that this person said Shalom Aleichem to Rabbi Yezim and Kisma first? And Rabbi Yezim and Kisma answered, Rabbi Yezim and Kisma should have said it first. What's going on over here? That's question number two. Question number three, the man asked him, where are you from? He didn't ask you if there are rabbis in your town. Where are you from? Right? Muncie, Brooklyn, Williamsburg, the five towns. Where are you from? Right? And he answers... Oh, you want to know where I'm from? A big city full of tzaddikim. So what, so where are you from? Is that Lakewood? Nebrak? Muncie? Five Towns? Flatbush? Bottle Park? Where are you from? He didn't answer him. He just told him I'm from a place of a lot of Torah and tzaddikim, but he didn't answer the question. He didn't ask him, are there rabbis in your town? So why didn't he answer where he's from? We still don't know where Rabbi Yaisim and Kisma live. Nobody here knows. He didn't answer the question. Okay. Question number four. He says that 
we'd like you to live in our city, um, and we'll, and we'll pay you for it. And Rabbi Kisper says, really? If you would give me all the money in the world, I wouldn't live in your city. I will, I will, I, no, I would only learn a place of Tyra. Who said that this place didn't have Tyra? This guy didn't say this place didn't have Tyra. All this guy said was, if you come to our city, we'll give you a lot of money. Maybe, maybe he had a huge kailo. So he was in a kailo that was paying 200 or 200 a month. And now he's inviting him to a kailo that's paying $10,000 a month. How did he know that where this man came from, there was no Torah? Maybe this guy had more Torah, he was just offering him a lot of money and a house. And the fifth question is, why is he giving him Musr? The man asked him one, said one little statement. He said, where are you from? He didn't answer that question. And he said, I'll give you all the money in the world to come to us, right? But he should have said, thank you, but no thank you. Instead, he gives him a whole Musr. Now, you listen to me. When you die... The money doesn't go with you. The only thing that goes with you is Torah and Maish Torah. This, this man didn't ask him for a share. He didn't ask him for a share. Why are you giving him a share over here? What's going? Why are you giving him a sir? What did he do wrong? He was very nice. He said, Rabbi, I want, to, I want to support you. Come to my city. So the answer is one answer for all the five questions. And the answer is that this was not a man. This was not a man. Right? This was a satan. This was the satan. Now let's look at the Mishnah. Now you remember, we spoke two weeks ago about the neshama coming from Shemayim. So it says that a soul, all of us in this room, before we came out to this world, God took our soul and he took us to hell and he showed us what it looks like and he said, you don't want to go here. Then he took us to heaven, and he showed us what it looked like. And he said, this is the place where you go if you do Torah and mitzvot. And I want you, before you go down to this world, to swear to me that you will keep the Torah and the mitzvot. And every neshama in this room took that shvua. We all swore that. And I saw on shvuas, there's an amazing zayar. And the zayar says that total... Total different translation of the whole Rus, not like just the story of Rus, but that it talk that that Naomi, that Naomi, and he brings rise that Naomi, which means beautiful. Naomi comes from the word Noam, beautiful. Naomi was really talking about the Neshama. Rus is the Torah, Arpa is the Yitzhara. But what he says is that when when Naomi came back from the fields, this is what she said. And they both came, soul and the body, until um, they came to Beislechem. And the whole city was in shock. Is this Naomi? Right? And Naomi answers back, I came, I, I left to throw full, right? And I came back empty. Don't call me Naomi anymore. Don't call me beautiful. Isaiah says that this is talking about a soul. A soul comes down to this world, right? And it has all this potential and all this beauty. It's going to keep mitzvahs. It's going to grow. It's going to do all this good stuff, right? And makes a shvua before it comes down to this world. Now, after it's in this world and it doesn't do what it's supposed to and it's busy watching DVDs, and listening to things you shouldn't be listening to, and doing things you're not supposed to be doing, and this beautiful neshama is not so beautiful anymore. And now it comes back after 120 years, and all everybody's waiting to see the neshama. And they say, uh oh, is this that neshama that was so beautiful that went into the world? This neshama who did all these sins says to all the tzaddikim and their grandparents and great-grandparents, don't call me beautiful anymore. They did all these averis. Call me bitter. I left the other world. The kisya covered of Hashem. Under the kisya covered, every neshama comes. I left and I was and I was full. And now I came back empty. 
Don't call me beautiful anymore. That then Zaya translates this 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 piece of rus. So the same thing is happening over here in this Mishnah. So Rabbi Yosef Mikisman is the Neshama. Hamachat Yishimahach Vaderech. I came down into this world my one time to be in this world. Upaga bi Adam Echad. And the Eitz bumped into me. Is bothering me. We're not only Shalom. You know, I said they should have a new screensaver on the on the on the what's it called on the on the on the internet. When you put on your computer, it should say Shalom, the devil. Right? That's what he said over here. He met him. Right? We're not only Shalom. They're exactly Shalom. So the reason he didn't say Shalom Aleichem first. It's because there's a halacha that when you see a rasha, you're not supposed to give him shalom. So here was the satan coming to him. Of course he didn't see, he didn't talk to him. So the satan came to him and said, Shalom Aleichem. Oh, he said, for Aleichem Shalom. So he asked the neshama, because here again, Rabbi Yosem and Kisma is the neshama. He said, Rabbi, Rabbi, you're a soul, where do you come from? I come from Gan Eden. I come from under Hashem's Kisar Kavad. I come from all the Tzadikim are. Amrali. So the Satan said to me, to the Neshama, Rebbe, We want you, and he's saying something even deeper. The Yetzirah is telling us, Really? You don't want to daven. You don't want to put on tefillin. You don't, you don't want to eat kosher. You don't want to do the right thing. Ritzaychah. What's your real will? What do you really want? I know your real will, says the Yitzhara. You should chill with us in our place. Again. Where we live, where the Satan lives. That's where you need to chill with us. Ah. He says, and I'll tell you what. You're going to have instant satisfaction. Because that's how the Yitzhara pays. It's going to be a party. You're going to you're going to enjoy it. I'm going to give you everything. You chill with me. You hang with me in my town. That's why he didn't ask him. You know, is there a tire in your town? He knew who he was talking to. He knew that there's no tire in the sun. So he said, "You can give me all the stuff. You can give me the iPhones and the smoke phones and all the one tire is my gullies." He says, "But at the end of the day, ain't he dull? But welcome tire." He says, "I don't want to live with you." I only I live only in a place of Tyra. What's a place of Tyra? He said, therefore, so how, how do you fight the eight Sahara? How do you fight instant gratification? How does a person fight instant gratification? So the answer is, and that's what the mission says before, that what keeps you away from doing Averos, may you have to know where you come from, where you're going. Right? You have to know that the end where you're gonna go, Rima Vasalea, nowhere. So he says to him, you're giving me instant gratification. Well, what's the long-term program over here? The long-term program here over here is that if I don't do mitzvahs, right? What's going to happen? I'm going to end up, right? I'm going to end up, they don't take me, right? So it says, what does it say? The Torah, when I'm in the ground, is going to watch me. Right? And, 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 and I'm going to have Lee Kesem I'm going to have all this Kesem So the long-term program, of course, is much better if I do Torah. The short program that you're trying to sell me. So he, he was telling the Sultan, what's that he was giving him Musr? He was telling the Sultan, I, 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 I look at consequence. I look at the end game. In the end game, you're nothing. In the end game, you're giving me nothing. You're giving me a bunch of ear. I'm going to get old. It's all going to mean nothing to me. It's going to be memories. And what am I going to have? I'm going to go into my cabin without anything. So really, this whole discussion over here was a discussion between the Neshama and and uh, and the Yitzhahara, and that's taka that's taka the Kayach, a very big the Kayach of the Yitzhahara, very instant, very instant. Everything's instant, 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 instant. Nothing that takes time. This is a very famous story. You guys know the story of Chaim with the guy that went to the whole, went to the country with the diamonds on the street. No, I, the only story I know from the Chavetz Chaim, story that he said. He said a, it's a fascinating story. I said it today in, in seminary. So he said a story like this. He said that there was a man and he was very, very, very poor. And he couldn't feed his family. And he would bring home dry bread every night. And then one night he had no dry bread. So he was very embarrassed to come home empty-handed. So he decided he's going to kill himself. So he went to the 
river, to the wharf, to the where, the where the boats were, and he's going to jump into the water. Two o'clock at night, he's about to jump into the water. He's getting undressed, and there's a, a sailor, and he's like, "Hey, man, what are you? Two o'clock? What are you doing? Getting undressed? Water's freezing." So he tells him, "I have no food. I have nothing. I, I can't continue like this. My, I'm, I'm embarrassed. So I'm, I'm, I'm out of here." He says, "That's why you're going to kill yourself." He says, "Tomorrow morning at sunrise, this boat. Right? I'm a sailor on this boat. We're going to a country, and..." In that country, the roads, the roads are paved with diamonds. He says, come on, what are you, what are you trying? He says, listen, you're going to kill yourself anyway, right? So we'll feed you on the boat, right? It, it takes about a few weeks to travel, but the boat only travels every seven years. So we haven't been here for seven years. So if you're going to come with us, you need to know that you're going to be there for seven years. But you'll come back a very rich man. What does he have to lose? He's going to kill himself anyway. So he gets on the boat. They feed him. They take care of him. Travels for a few weeks, three weeks. They come to this to this land. He, he gets off the boat. He can't believe it. Diamonds. The roads are paved with diamonds. He's like, this is crazy. Millions of dollars. He's walking. This one's bigger than this one. He throws this one out of his pocket. Takes the bigger one. And this one's bigger than this one. And he's busy like half a day just filling up all his pockets with these huge diamonds. And he's always finding a bigger one. Finally, it's getting the sun setting. It's getting dark. And he's, he's got to go to sleep. So he goes to the hotel. He says, take me to the most expensive hotel. Comes to the most expensive hotel. He walks in. Guy's behind the counter. How can I help you? He says, I want the presidential suite. And how long would you like to book for? Seven years. Seven years of presidential suite, and you don't have the Black American Express card? Like, how do you think this is going to happen, right? He didn't say that. It's an old story. But anyway, so, maybe I heard the story, but the American Express, I don't know if that's true. Anyway, so, Chavitz Chaim knew about the American Express Black card? Nah. So the whole shit must be not true. I don't know, whatever. Okay. Anyway, so, so the guy says, how you paying? He says, how am I paying? Let me show you. He takes up this huge diamond with a billion dollars. The guy says, I know, it's very nice. You have stones in your pocket. But, but how are you paying? He goes, you know this is not a stone, this is a diamond. He says, sir, you, either there's something mentally wrong with you or you just don't get it. He says, in this country, they're all over the streets. They're not worth a penny. They're not worth anything says, kick him out of this hotel right now. And they kick him out the front door and they throw him on the street. To make a long story short, this guy's going back, going by in a wagon. He sees this guy laying in the street. He wants to do a chesed. He says, what's going on with you? He tells him, I'm poor. He says, okay, come to my house. They'll stay. We'll get you a job. And you'll get a job. And in seven years, you'll go back. So, the next morning, he's sitting with this guy who picked him up. And he says, by the way, you know, this is pretty crazy. You know what these things are worth, where I come from? I mean, forget about it, just one of them. He says, what's worth, what's worth money in your town? What, what's, what are you guys, what, what is value by you? The guy says, I'll tell you the truth. He says, we don't have herring. It's, it's like caviar to us here. And it's very, very expensive. There's one man in the whole city, capital city, who knows how to make herring. A piece of herring here is, the value is off the charts. This guy's like, are you kidding me? He says, no. He says, well, you're not going to believe it. But for 10 years, I worked in a herring store. He says, how many different flavors does this guy have? He only has one. He goes, are you kidding me? I got mustard. I got matches. I got wine sauce. I got, I got a white sauce. He says, we can open a store together. You don't understand what we're going to be. I, I, I will have 15 different herrings. He's like, are you kidding me? Okay, make a long story short. They opened up a business together. The lines around the street was like, you couldn't get near the store. And then they opened up a bunch of them. And all of a sudden, there's stores all over the country. This guy's making millions and millions of dollars selling his recipe for herring. Okay? Now, it's, he's got, got cash, man. He's got a lot of money, whatever it is. And he's seven years are up. And they're telling him the boat's leaving tomorrow. You need to go home. You know, you, you made a lot of money here. You need to go home. The problem is that the money of that country is worthless where he lives. It's like going to a store and buying a Coke with a Bolivian dollar. They're going to like, what's that? Bolivian dollar? Have a nice day. We, you know, 
or Russian, uh, whatever. Uh, you can't use that currency here. So he has these millions of dollars in his box, his safe deposit box. He doesn't know what to do with it. So I, I got a good idea. He orders like 50 barrels, and he takes, instead of the cash, he takes whatever he had, let's say $5 million worth of herring, and he puts it in the barrels. He says, I'll take the herring home. Anyway, they go on the boat, the big long story short, the boat gets stuck, and Nebuchadnezzar on the water for two months. That herring in the barrels are so spoiled. Have a nice day. Meanwhile, he sends a, this is the Kofi story, he sends a message to his wife during those years, I'm really sorry that I left and I didn't tell you where I was going, but we are billionaires and he tells her the whole story, Rosa pays with diamonds, and you're not gonna believe it, and, and he's like, wow, it's like crazy. Okay? So, they're having a big parade where he's coming home, everyone's now all his friends, you know, billionaires coming home, the governor, everybody's waiting, big parade, and the boat comes up, and they drop the gang plan, they put the thing down, the ramp, and he gives a big kiss to his wife and his kids, and everyone's looking, where's the kesef, right? And he says, oh, the money? Roll those barrels down. And they roll these, the first barrel down, and the governor's like, wow, they're just imagine a barrel that size full of diamonds? God, you gotta be crazy millionaire. They pry it open, it's dead air. It smells so bad. They're like, oh my God, what's this? And they all figure, he's traveling. Pirates are going to come, so they have to hide it. So, like his whole family, all his kids and his wife, they're throwing herring out of the barrel. You'll throw it, throw it. Where the diamonds? Where the diamonds? He's sitting there like, oh my God. Oh my God, I didn't bring any diamonds home. He's like, I, I brought herring home. I can't believe I did this. And he faints. And they take every barrel, and they go through every barrel, and they throw it, and... You're mamish, a few feet high, herring and mustard sauce, herring and matches, herring and wine, spoiled, stinky. Everyone's looking at this Michigan. What is he talking about? Diamonds. And they carry him. He's fainted out cold. And his wife and his kids carry him. And they throw him on his bed. What is Michigan telling us stories with diamonds? Guy came home with herring. She takes off his jacket because he's out. And she hangs it up. And she just stopped to look. She puts her, hand, her hands in his pocket. And she puts his hands in this pocket and then in that pocket. And then she puts his hand on the side pocket of his jacket. And there's a hole in the pocket. And she sticks her hand through the hole. And on the bottom of the hole, she pulls out crazy-sized diamonds. And she's like, oh, my God, there really were diamonds there. What happened was, on the first day when he got there, he was wearing this jacket... He thought, ha-ha, are you kidding me? So he gathered all the diamonds, filled up all his pockets. This one pocket had a rip. So the diamonds fell in. And as the Chafetz Chaim say, he, I mean, he lost out on what he could have brought home. But he brought home a definitely valuable, a valuable part. And that's the end of the story the Chafetz Chaim says. What's going on over here? It's so true. So the Chafetz Chaim says like this. The Shema, exactly what this Mishnah and exactly what the Zoya was saying about. The Shema leaves the world, leaves up Shemayim. And Shemayim, they show him Ganeid, and they show him every mitzvah of tzitzes. One second of tzitzes, what it's worth. To hit what it's filling. Davening with a minion. All these things, right? And then the Shema's like, Oh my God! That world is full of diamonds! I know, but you need to know something. You're going down to that world, but you can't come back for 70 years. 90 years, the boat's going to go back in 90 years. So, just remember that you got 90 years on that world, and fine, so the Shema's like all excited, diamonds, 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 comes down to this world, you know, pre-1A, kindergarten, nursery, diamonds! Hashem is here, Hashem is everywhere, right? Those kids are all lit up, up, down, everywhere, where's Hashem? Hashem is here, one kid told me, Hashem, Hashem's in my heart, right? They come home with those little flowers, for sure, it's my grandkids. That was a little crayfly, those fake flowers with a little smell on it, right? So excited they make sure it's flowers, right? And then one of my grandchildren had a little mountain with the Torah, Moshe standing on top with the Lucha. Whoa! It was like the most amazing thing, right? Doesn't change colors, doesn't push buttons, it's not an iPhone, little piece of crepe paper. Very, very excited. Very, very excited. First time they put on a yarmulke, they get a haircut. First time they put on a pair of tits. First time they, re- they, 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 they make them lick the honey on the letters. Diamonds! As a kid, you're excited. Everyone's excited. So, you fill up your pockets with all these little mitzvahs. Then, it's time to go to the store. And you're like, 
So I can't. What do you? What, what can I do for you, kid? Um, can I get a bag of potato chips? How much is it? A quarter. Um, I made ashiyotza today when I got out of the bathroom. Can I pay for it with that? Huh? Well, I made an ashiyotza. You know, when I came out of the bathroom. And you know, it's a mitzvah. It's worth definitely more than 25 cents. And I, you know what ashiyotza is worth? Hashem? In the next world? Can I get it back? Like, get out of here. Shoo. Mitzvahs? What are those? What are you talking about? And all of a sudden, our values change drastically. Like, what can you buy with, with putting on tefillin? What could you buy with kibbutz of aim? What could you buy with with not looking at the things you're not supposed to? And all of a sudden, the, the guy in the hotel is like, "No, you, this, we, we, you know, we have these all over the place. This is not. This doesn't have a value. What has a value is something like, you know, something that's different, something that you're not used to. And we start to get used to car has a value. My clothing has a value. How my look has a value. My social grace, where." You know, where I'm holding in my, my social graces has a value. You know, how pretty my wife's hat is a value. We have all these values and, and we forget about those diamonds that when we came to this world we were so excited about. But, Shemayim, they heard, this guy, he's rich. Everybody gives him covered wherever he goes. Got the black card, he, he flies first class. He's, he's got a driver, he's a rich guy. So after 90 years, he's coming to Shemayim. The word in Shemayim is, he's coming home with a lot of stuff. And he comes up to Shemayim, and they're like, his grandfather is there, and his great-grandfather from the Holocaust, and Moshe Rabbeinu's there, and Rabbi Akiva's there, and all the tzaddikim are there, because they heard that this guy's coming. We got we to gotta see, wow, he's, he's huge. He's, 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 he's so wealthy. And they're like, so what do you got? He's like, <laughs> what I got. I got a 45-inch screen in my house. You know what kind of house I left? It had 20 bathrooms and 40 bedrooms, and I had five houses in five different places. You know how much money in, in I have in real estate? And they're like, real estate here is not, there's, there's no real estate here, and there's no iPhones, and there's no televisions, and there's no houses, and that's all you brought back? And then a shovel was like, oh my God, I was there for 90 years and I brought back my iPhone and all my stupidities and all my stuff and Shama sort of faints so to say it's like I had 90 years to gather all this good stuff but because on earth they made it into nothing because they can't buy anything with it and you can't you can't become great with you know socially powerful and the head of a corporation because you learned the Daf Yemi that morning so you threw it all out so the Chafetz Chaim writes you have to hope that there was a hole in your pockets and that some mitzvahs you kept, even during that time, that, that'll be the few mitzvahs that maybe will get you out of Gehenna or wherever it has to get out of. He says, maybe you have a few mitzvahs left in your pocket. He says, if you're alive and you're here, throw out the herring and start gathering the diamonds. The problem is that in this world, this secular world that we live, knowing Torah and doing mitzvahs has no value. So you end up switching your values and throwing out the diamonds and collecting the herring. And that is what he said in this Mishnah of Yetzirah Kisma. He said to the Sahara that all your money and all your gold, that's a bunch of fish, that's a bunch of herring. That ain't going with you. What is going with you? The only thing that's going with you is your Torah and your mitzvahs. That's what he said in that Mishnah. Okay. Now, let's go to the first parak, which was last week's so just a, two missions I want to really hit. One is like this. Well, first of all, for the summer, I'll just read a few from inside. Your house should be open for people to come through. Four doors open. Poor people should be the children, the children of your household. That doesn't mean that your children should be poor. It means that you should treat the poor people that come to you, you should treat them like your own children. They should be in your hat. My girls and I can be happy about this Mishnah, my, my Ornava girls, because it says, you shouldn't talk Sicha Isha with a woman. Now, everyone here knows that talking to a woman, right, is going to get you into trouble. Because at work, if you're going to start talking to her, 
she's going to start telling you her problems with her husband, who happens not to be true, because her husband happens to be a great guy, but she's looking to do Gavirus, and then you're going to start listening, and you're going to start giving her therapy, you're going to get emotionally involved, and we know the rule is 99% of emotional relationships turn physical. 20% of physical relationships turn emotional. But 99%, if you get involved with a woman emotionally, you will get physical with her. So the mission is saying, don't, where does it start? Where does all the trouble start? Where did, it start? Where, where did the trouble start with Chava? It started with, he talked to her and she answered him. He said to her, what's the deal with the tree and the, and the, and the fruit? And he should have said, you want to know the deal? I wasn't even there. I wasn't even created. When Hashem told Adam not to eat from the tree, I wasn't even alive. I don't know anything about it. Talk to him. Uh-uh-uh. She wanted to get into it. You know, she had her opinion. Have a nice day. So here, you know, I remember when I learned this as a kid. Okay, I understand you shouldn't talk to girls. But then the Mishnah said, Be'ishto. We're talking about you shouldn't talk too much to your wife. I'm like, huh? Right? Surely, surely, if you're not supposed to be talking too much to your wife, you shouldn't be talking to your friend's wife. From here the Chachamim say, Anyone who talks a lot to women, he will cause bad to himself. He will stop learning Torah. The sofa, what will be his end? He will inherit hell. Now, you're going to say to me, Rebbe, one second, you shouldn't talk to your wife? The whole therapy world is going to get very upset at this Mishnah. What do you mean? Shalom bias. The whole thing is, we all get up, me included, communicate. Talk to your wife. Get off your phone. Talk to your wife. What's this Mishnah telling you? You shouldn't talk to your wife. So you have to look at Chazal. What Chazal says. Chazal says, what does it mean, Al-Tavah Sicha? What's Sicha? Right? Al-Tavah Sicha Me'isha. And I can tell you this is very, very, very true. He said, he said, don't come home and tell your wife your fights and your gripes. For instance, a guy, a, a, a husband comes home and tells his wife, you know, you know what happened today in shul? This and this guy got up and he mamish insulted me. I can't believe he did it. He mamish insulted me. Now what's going to happen is he is going to forgive him. They'll make friends in shul. She will never forgive him. Don't bring home your dirt. Because you will forgive what happened. She will not forgive. It is so true. In other words, you, you, my friend did this, my friend did that. And you're thinking, okay, hey, hey, you know, honey, now everything's great. We're doing great. She's like, no. No, he did that to you? No. We're not going out with them anymore. No, we're not going to have anything to do with those people. I, I forgave him. I know. But you know what? I'm mocked and you're covered. <laughs> you're not mocked and you're covered. But I'm mocked and you're covered. So, what happened, where does this come from? Kairach. Kairach came home to his wife. Kairach told his wife that Moshe Rabbeinu was making chayzik. He took all the, Kairach was a lazy. He took all the levim. They shaved them totally, right? Before they did the avayda. And they did a tznufa. They waved them. So he came home and told his wife, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu, he, he made a fool out of us. Like chickens, you know? He shaved us and then they waved us. He would have let go. What happened? She, because of that, said, Shabbat did that to my husband. So she started a rumor that Moshe Rabbeinu was Boyal Ishish. The Moshe Rabbeinu was a Ganav. She was the one, we'll see next week, she was the one who cooked up the whole thing. Had he not told her about this whole thing, he, I, don't think it would, I don't even think it would have happened in the end. That's what, that's what Sicha Meish means. Don't go home and tell your wife these things. Because in the end, you're going to forgive, and she is not going to forgive. That's what Sicham Isha. To talk to your wife about your kids and your life and everything else, 100% you should speak to her. Okay. Now the mission says something very, 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 very true. And it says the following. Mission above. Yeshua ben Prachim, Yitala Beli Kibumahem. Yeshua ben Prachim, Yoimer. Aseilachorav. Make for yourself a Rebbe. Kneilachorchaver. If you have to, buy a friend. Whatever it takes to have a friend. A person needs to have a Rebbe and a friend. Right? And then it says something totally random. It has nothing to do with the Mishnah. Now how they done as Kolo Adam Lachavskos. 
And when you judge another person, always judge him favorably. What are you doing in this Mishnah? You belong in a different Mishnah. No, because I'll say like this. If you want to have a Rebbe, and you want to have a friend, the only way you can have a Rebbe and a friend is if you judge people favorably. Because every Rebbe and every friend is going to say something you don't like. Or maybe do something that you don't like. So the Mishnah is telling us, you need to have a Rebbe, and you need to have a friend, but it won't work. Unless you're a person who judges favorably. Because if you don't, oh, the rabbi said that, I'm done with him. Oh, my friend did that to me, I'm done with them. So it won't last. The only way a friendship and a, having a Rebbe can last is part of the ingredient is that you're a person that judges favorably. You know, my Rebbe said something, maybe he didn't mean me, maybe he didn't really mean what he said. My friend, maybe, maybe it was to help me, not to hurt me, and you're, you'll be able to keep a friend. But if you're a person who doesn't judge favorably, your friendship will last, no, your friendship will not last. And the rabbi part will not last. It's a very, very good psychological, and I like the mission because it's very, very true. So that's why they're together. And the last mission is like this. Mission Yudali. Who are you, Aymer? This is Hillel. If I am not going to be for me, who will be for me? And if I'm going to be for me, what am I going to be? And if not now, when? So this sounds like very... What are you saying over here? If I'm not if I'm not for me, who will be for me? But if I am for me, who am I? Uh, how do you understand this Mishnah? Happens to me this Mishnah is very much... Um, I spoke a while back to a bunch of therapists in a very non-Jewish rehab, one of the most expensive, 45000 a month. This is like the ultimate rehab in America. The reason they asked me to come speak to them is that they had a bunch of Jewish clients and these were non-Jews and they didn't know how to talk to them about Jewish stuff. So one of the girls that was there was my a girl that I was working with. So I came to visit her and they used to talk to me and they're like, you know what, we need staff to get together. We need you to talk to us because we don't really... So they said, do, do the rabbis talk about therapy at all do, do, do the you know Talmud and all this stuff so I got into a lot of that I got into with Moshe Rabbeinu that he said I can't do it and Hashem said you could he said I can't they found that very fascinating but I, I gave them this Mishnah and I said the following I said you guys do drug rehab do you agree with me that that if a person is forced the kid's forced to go there it never works the only way it works is if the person walks in and says I'm sick I'm, a, I'm an addict and I need help but if they go because Rabbi Wallstein sent for me, sent them, then they don't, it's anything in life like this, anything. If you do something because someone else told you to do it, you don't own the decision. The other person owns the decision. That doesn't last. The person only lasts a decision, let's say, not to smoke, right? So if a kid stops smoking because I keep bothering him, in a year from now, in three months from now, he's gonna smoke again when I'm not there, right? He's gonna, but if a kid decides I'm not smoking anymore, that's my decision. That he owns the decision. If you own a decision, like when I stopped gambling, that was my decision. Nobody told me to stop gambling. I decided to stop gambling. So it's 17 years, there's nothing to talk about. I made that decision. So I own that decision. If I own that decision, it lasts. You can't stop an addiction unless you own the decision to stop it. If you're stopping it for your wife, if you're stopping it because you don't want to lose your job, if whatever the addiction is, doesn't work. I said, this is the Mishnah. If I am not for myself, if I don't make that decision, then who could be for me? You can't make the decision for me. I always talk about Humpty Dumpty. I just, a little silly, right? Humpty Dumpty, you guys are a little bit old for Humpty Dumpty, right? But it's, it's a, it's a very, I thought it was a very silly song until I learned, I learned into it, right? Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. You never thought you'd hear this one this year, right? Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Why not? Why couldn't they put him back together again? Who made up this stupid song? All the king's horses and all the king's men put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Rhymes the same way. I'm a positive guy, right? I'm not telling the kids in the class they couldn't put it back together again. They could put it back together. Same rhyme, same amount of words, same everything. Whoever wrote the song was a godlock. All the king's horses and all the king's men can't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. 
Only Humpty Dumpty can put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Other people can't put you back together. Other people can support you. They can't make the decision for you. You have to make that decision. I'm sure that's not what he meant, but that's how I learned it through his song, right? So now listen to the Mishnah. If I don't make that decision, if I am not for myself, who else who could be for me? No one else could be for me. I have to own the decision. But me. But if I'm gonna to try to do this alone without any support, this is the basis of AA. Okay, I'm sitting there, these guys are like eating this up. They're like, the Talmud said this? I'm like, so now the guy made the decision. This is AA. I, I don't want to drink anymore, right? But now I gotta to go to AA groups because I need support. I need I can't do it alone. I need other people to help me, support me in when I make the decisions. I'm like, you may not me, me, me. If I don't do it myself, I can't nothing's gonna happen. Ukshali asked me, but if I'm with only myself and I have no support, right? Moani, it's not gonna work. What what that was nice for them, by the way. But what it really means is that after I make the decision, if I if I think I can do it without God, it can it won't happen. Right? So if I'm gonna be for myself, Moani, what's what's gonna end up being? Right? And the main point in addiction, in breaking addiction, is not to push it off. Right? So what is the Mishnah saying? All three things. They were like, wow, you guys had that? I'm like, yeah, we had that way before you did, baby. Way before you did. And who says it? Hillel. Right? It may not nearly me, If I don't make the decision, who's going to make the decision for me? Ukushan liats me. And once I make the decision, if I'm going to just try to do it on my own, Moani. It's not going to happen. The Imloyashav. And if I don't do it now, when I, when I, when I want to do it right now and I push it off, Amos it's not gonna happen. The basis of AA. Hello. Way before they existed. And it's very, very true. I can tell you, from all my dieting and trying to diet, right? It's like, okay, you know what? My sugar's high and I gotta stop doing this and, and I gotta diet and what, what is it? Today's Friday. So, you can't start a diet on a Friday. It's a weekend. Shabbos. You don't start dieting on Shabbos. Now, Sunday, is leftovers. No one starts a diet on Sunday. You start a diet on Monday morning. That's the rule, right? So Friday, I'm eating more now, so I have to lose more because Friday Shabbos, right? Now it comes Monday morning, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I just looked at my calendar. I have a wedding tonight. I'm not. There's no way I'm going to sit at a wedding night eat what I'm supposed. So, so the wedding broke up the whole thing, right? Now it's Monday. It's Tuesday. Okay, we'll start next Monday. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. The only way it happens is Mishnah. Only way it happens is now. I don't care, weekend, shweekend, wedding, Sunday, it's all shtuts. That means you're not ready to start. This is a big Mishnah. This is a Mishnah by Hillel. Right? This is a very, very big Mishnah. And if you, if you tackle live your life like that, you, you make the decision, and you have a support group. The support group, of course, is like Kodesh Baruch but the support group is also a Chavrusa. If you're married, a wife, she's an Asian connector, or a parent, you need, you can't do, you can't do it alone. You need someone, you know, you need someone to support you. And my gambling, stop me to gamble, my, my other one is Hashem. Cause everybody around me wanted me to keep going cause they were getting comped. They're like, don't stop! You know? Free tickets, free rooms, yeah, nobody wanted that. I had no support group. Everyone's like, why are you stopping? You know? We're getting free this, free that, and free cigarettes, and free everything. You go, don't even play, just go. We'll get the free stuff, right? If I had no support group, my support group was, because Mark was my support group, what am I doing? What am I doing? Where am I going with this? That was my support group. So this is a very, very, very important mission. Okay, just one last word on the Pasha, Pasha Shlach, which is also big, big psychology, big, big psychology, very short. Um, the whole, the whole parasha shlach, I mean, maybe I'll talk about it next week, is a lesson in how you look at things. You know, I, I, you deal with atheists, you deal with atheists, it's a new thing, I'm dealing with this all the time, right, whatever it is. And, and they're looking, they don't want to see, so they, they look at everything very, you know, very differently. Like, man comes from monkey. Why, 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 why do you need, why do you need to believe that? You know, and, and, and I once said that people, whatever. You don't, if you go in the street and say you look like a monkey, you're, they're gonna beat you up. Right? But man came from a monkey, so I should look like a monkey, right? Why are you getting so upset? What do you mean? Hey man, why are you getting upset? I called you a monkey. You believe that you come from a monkey, right? So, 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 you're a human being and you, you see the difference between you and a monkey and you see your intelligence and you see everything. Why do you have to come from a monkey? 
And the, 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 you could, the Maragnum store, huge fruit. Right? They should have come back and said, you know, we're in Disneyland. I never saw a, a watermelon, uh, grapes like that. Instead they came back and said, oh my God, huge fruit. That's huge people. Huge problems. First of all, if you eat huge fruit, maybe you'll end up being giants, right? Everything they looked at, everybody was dying. The whole place was dying. Everyone was dying. It's just very interesting that the Canaanim believed in the next world. The Canaanim weren't atheists. How do you know they believed in the next world? It says that when the Moroccan came in, there were thousands and thousands of burials. Why? Because they believe you know, when a person dies, right, if they're not a good person, so you have to keep them in the house, the dead body, until a tzaddik, a, a good guy, a good non-Jew dies, and then the, that you bury everyone together, and that that tzaddik of the goyim will take all the souls into heaven. So when they came, Eov died that day. So all the goyim that were in the houses ready to be buried, everybody was busy, you know, making burials. So the Kanana believed that they go to the next world. That's why they were waiting. So he brings down the Torah. The Kananim weren't atheists. And they were not, you know, Tzadikim. They weren't atheists. But anyway, so everybody's dying. So instead of coming back and saying, wow, God made a miracle. There's a plague. Everyone's dying. So nobody knows that we're here. Right? They came back and said, no. It's a land that it eats. It eats. The earth eats its people. You got to watch what comes out of your mouth. What was the punishment for that? That every year... On Tishabov, they all had to dig a grave, go into the ground, and the next morning some would wake up, and some would, some would wake up and come out of the grave, and some would not wake up. You said that the earth eats its people? The earth will eat you. So the punishment, me, the Kinegi, me, is that they had to go into the earth, every Tishabov, sleep in the earth? You said this earth eats people? Kachaya, they're not going to wake up tomorrow morning. And that's how they used to die every single year. Until the last year, where they didn't die on the 9th and the 10th, and they thought maybe they had a wrong thing. And finally on the 15th, they realized that it's over, no one else is dying. And that's why Tuba Of is such a big yuntus, because they realized that that day, nobody was dying. But came out of their mouth that the earth eats its people. Hashem said, really? Well, now that's how it's going to eat you. That's how you're going to die. You're going to lay in the earth, and that's how you're going to die. So instead of seeing the good, they took everything that was good, and they just, a little twist, a little different look on it. And they made the big grapes and the people dying and everything that they had there, they turned into, oh my gosh, it's a terrible, unbelievable place. Now the reason they did that, and it does say that they were, that, 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 that they were forgiven. But Hashem forgave, Hashem forgave the Moraglim and He let them into Ganeidim. He forgave the Moraglim and He let them into Ganeidim because they did tshuva. It said that they jumped into their graves and said, we deserve whatever happens to us. They made a kiddush Hashem, they said, we deserve this. And it says that they were, their tshuva was makabal. But, there's one very fascinating, very fascinating thing that happened here, and we'll, we'll end with this. So they go in there, and they're, and they're, by the, they're by the giants, and they come back, right? Everybody's pretty cool. And they're talking about the fruits, and this and that, and all the bad stuff they're saying. But nobody is panicking. Nobody's panicking. Right? Where all of a sudden, they say the following. We saw the giants. And we were in our own eyes like grasshoppers. And that's how we were in their eyes. How do you know what you were in their eyes? I don't know what I am in your eyes. How, how could they say to Klyostrel that in the eyes of the giants we were grasshoppers? Maybe in the eyes of the giants you were horses. Maybe you were flies. So the Pusik is telling us an unbelievable lesson. It says something that's not necessary to say at all. It says, We were in our own eyes as grasshoppers. Who asked you? Who cares what you were in your own eyes? And the answer is that what you feel that you are is what you project to others. So it wasn't, and in their eyes we were grasshoppers. What the Pusik should have said and in their eyes, we were grasshoppers. So therefore, we felt like grasshoppers, because that's how they looked at us. No, it's the other way around. In our eyes, we were grasshoppers. And therefore, in their eyes, we were And Rashi says that they heard them talking, and they said, who are those ants? Who are those ants in the grass? So they didn't even say grasshoppers. The Anakim said, 
ants. So one second, if it's, if they heard them say ants, why didn't they say, can the mullet, we were, we were ants? And the answer is, no, we weren't ants. We projected ourselves and we were grasshoppers. And right after that busted, everything falls apart. But Tisikola Ada is Kailov, everybody began to cry, it was over. Why? Because their leaders, their Maravim, the leaders in the Seam of Kleistra, got up, they didn't care that the, 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 the Seam said, we look like grasshoppers in the giant's eyes. But when they said, in our own eyes, we're the leaders, in our own eyes we're very little, we're, we're little, little grasshoppers, then the followers lost, lost all their belief, lost everything. And that's when Kleistra fell apart. So what we learn from here is that what you project who you are, if you have low self-esteem, and that's who you think you are, and you think you're nothing, and you think you have no potential, then that's what other people are going to think of you. Because you project what you, how you look at yourself, that's how you project. A person who sees bad in others is because he sees bad in himself. A person who sees good in others because he sees good in himself. A person who sees potential, right, in another person is because he sees potential in himself. And a person who sees no potential, and I have to tell you that in my life, Baruch Hashem, so far, but in my life, I have seen so many educators and people in positions that, that destroyed other people because they did not believe in their potential. But I know those people, and the reason they don't believe in a kid's potential is because they don't believe in their own potential. Because they're miserable. So if they're miserable, you look at a kid, and the, the kid's miserable. And a person who believes that I can do anything, I could fly, I can jump, I could do things that people said I can't do, when he looks at someone, and that person looks at him and says, Rabbi, Rabbi, what do you expect of me? I, I, I can't do it. So what are you talking about? He doesn't even understand. How can you tell me you can't do it? Of course you can do it. Where did that come from? A book? He come from a book because he himself in his own life believes I can do anything. So if I can do anything, then I believe all of you can do anything. If I believe I can't do anything, then I don't care what you're doing, I don't believe in you. So the, the person who doesn't believe in the kid, honestly, you look at him, you'll find out he doesn't believe in himself. And the person that doesn't get along with people, if you, if you break them down, doesn't get along with himself either. Doesn't like himself, doesn't get along with himself. Those guys that are out there that are like, we can do anything, we can do anything, they believe in themselves. And the best coaches in sports, the best coaches in sports are the guys that struggled in sports and became superstars. Because they, when they look at their players and they're down by 18 points, they're like, I was once down by 18 points and we won. So this is nothing. We can win. We can do this. We've been there. So they had the, you know, the Rangers lost their, 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 their 0-3, right? So everyone's like, okay, it's over. Okay. Nobody ever came back from a, a Stanley Cup from 0-3. Like, it can't happen, right? So today, one of them said, you know what? I think we can do it. And the guy's like, what do you mean? Why do you think you can do it? Nobody, nobody else can do it. You can do it. He says, because in this playoff series, we were down to a team 3-1. to one. And then we won four straight. So we can win four straight. And I said to myself, that's unbelievable. Why is he saying that? Because he was there, and they were down 3-1, and they won. Had they, had they never been in that position, they just beat everybody 4-0, 4-0, 4-0, they would not have, I'm not saying they're going to win, don't get me wrong, but, but, but they experienced that they, that, that, that they can. So when they get on the ice, in their heads, what are they going to project? We can do this. We can do this. And anyone who believes they can do it, can do it. Anyone who believes they can't do it, there's no game, it's over. Have a nice day. That's what happened over here. Kleisler was cool with all the reports, dead people, big wall, no wall, this, that. They were sitting there, okay, we'll deal with it. The minute they projected, well, we're grasshoppers. Saying that the Giants thought they were grasshoppers, who cares? Stupid Giants. We, well, we, we took care of Goliath. We took care of the Mitzrayim. We could do anything. But, but they had a leader in Mitzrayim, Moshe Rabbeinu, who said, I'm taking it out of Mitzrayim. We could do anything. Now their leaders are saying, uh, hi guys, we're a bunch of grasshoppers. Forget it, they were done. They were done. So a person has to have a belief in himself 
that he could do anything with Hashem's help. With Hashem's help, you can do anything. And if you have that belief you can do anything, then you have the koyach to give over to other people that, you know, that, who don't believe in themselves. You have the koyach to give them that they do believe in themselves. But if you don't believe in yourself, you can't help anybody. You can't help your kids. You can't help your wife. You can't be a teacher. You can't help anybody. Right? It doesn't need to be a bad guy. But it needs to be that there's nothing impossible. Nothing in this world is impossible with Hashem's help. Without Hashem's help, nothing's possible. Without God's help, there's nothing possible. With God's help, there's nothing impossible. Right? Somebody said to me in seminary, when the girl said, that's why it's called impossible. Impossible spells I am possible. I said 100%, you're right. Everything is possible. Bezrat Hashem is definitely possible and probable that next week, the Shia will not be here, but it will be in Eretz Yisrael in the base You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.